0: What happens when you get some of the most senior leaders we have to share his or her advice on a one-on-one basis? I'm Michael Sears. I used to brief flag officers as part of my job. Now the tables are turned, and we're letting some of the most senior naval, military, and civilian leaders we have brief us. Welcome to the Flag Brief. Stay with us. I'm in conversation with Vice Admiral John Christensen, United States Navy, retired. Admiral Christensen is a 1981 graduate of the Naval Academy. Over a long career, he served as a surface warfare officer, including command of USS McCluskey, Destroyer Squadron 21, Naval Mine and Anti-Submarine Warfare Command, Carrier Strike Group 12, USS Enterprise Strike Group, and as president, Board of Inspection and Survey. Assure... He commanded the Surface Warfare Officers School in Newport, Rhode Island, and was the president of the Naval War College. Most recently, he served as Chief of Staff U.S. European Command Stuttgart, Germany, and finally, as the United States military representative to the NATO Military Committee in Brussels. Welcome, Vice Admiral John Christensen. Good morning, Michael. Good to be with you. Admiral, it's great to have you here. This is going to be a nice, nice, rich discussion. I want to start with that last role and work our way back. What did you do as the military representative to the NATO military committee in Brussels?
1: I represented the United States military to the uh, oldest and best alliance in the world, NATO. I sat behind the American flag at a big round table with, at the time, 29 allies represented, to the best of my ability, the position of the U.S. military. It's a huge honor, and it was uh, an amazing way to end my 41 years in uniform.
0: So as I understand it, you were the man, at least when uh, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs wasn't there. You were the person, the military official, the naval officer, who uh, took and gave advice to that council.
1: Exactly. General Dunford, who was the chairman on my watch, came there, came to Europe three times a year, but when he was there, he sat behind the American flag. You know, the other 350 days of the year, I sat behind there and uh, tried to articulate the position of the U.S. military. And, and let's face it, for the U.S., it was about our leadership and our ability to uh, contribute to the missions in NATO, but also to, to set a standard for uh, how we believed, again, civil-military relations, how they should unfold. Uh, We were clearly subordinate to our political masters and the history that went along with that.
0: So with all that experience and that uh, that work you've done, what do you see as our role, especially as junior naval officers, uh, around serving in partnerships and alliances worldwide?
1: Right. The United States, without question, the most powerful nation in the world across all the forms of national power. So we serve as a role model. For a junior officer, what's your role in serving as a role model? For us in NATO at the time, when does the U.S. apply military, you know, that ultimate deadly force applied to a situation? War is politics by other means, Clausewitz. When does the U.S. military commit, it, when does the United States commit itself? And they're looking to us for an example as the way we uh, are obedient to our political masters, that relationships, civil military relations plays out every day there. The Marine Corps came up with a concept of a, the strategic corporal. In other words, the days of decisions residing solely in nations capitals are over. The impact of the most junior officer on the corner of a street in a foreign city can have global impact. I think of the pictures of the American sailors that were captured by the Iranian uh, sitting there. I mean, that image was uh, transmitted around the world to, to millions and hundreds of millions of cell phones. You matter from the first day of service, especially as you, you know, one of the gifts of a naval career is you're gonna be, you're gonna be going around the world. You're gonna be globally assigned and your behavior, your performance has the potential to to become uh, scrutinized immediately. And so how you uh, embrace that reality that you're a role model matters a lot to the relationship, how you treat your fellow uh, warriors that you serve with, whether it's in a NATO alliance or just how you conduct yourself on liberty. Those things matter.
0: You know, the title of this session, though, is Lessons Learned. So let's get into that just a little bit. and, And let's get personal just for a minute, Admiral. We've known each other for forty-four years. You want to talk about that and how we met?
1: Sure. You were my first squad leader at the Naval Academy. Uh, I was eighteen years old, and I think for anybody, that first uh, the first memory of your military service, that transition from big man on campus to uh, taken down to bare metal and, and being rebuilt in the image of what Annapolis or the American people expect you to be, is uh, is a was a very important role that you occupied. So that's how we met, summer July of 77.
0: Hot, humid summer. I do remember you, uh, Mr. Christensen, if I can call you that, Admiral, just for a second. And you stood out.
1: Well, I remember that what we had in common was you were a triple jumper. You were a track guy. And I had done the triple jump in high school. And I remember, okay, he's got to remember that from that first night bio. Um, but I thought you had it out for me. Um, I, I mean, obviously... Uh, until you reached out to me years later, I would have, I was pretty convinced you had no interest in me or just couldn't believe that I was not only admitted, but graduated to the Naval Academy. But I've since learned and I've always appreciated the impact you had on me. I was always proud that my first squad leader was you um, for many reasons you know, a Marine, a multiple Stanford grad, you know, an African-American, especially in these times, as as I think all Americans are looking themselves in the mirror and saying, what what do I give myself on my report card when it comes to how we treat each other and race relations? And and I'm always proud to look back and say, hey, it started with Mike Sears, an African-American who went on to do amazing things. I mean, read your biography. It's eye-watering, but But that's how it started for me, is I was about as soft a Play-Doh as you could be that first week, and you were the man that took me and molded me and got me launched. And then, you know, if you look across the 44 years, Desert Storm, I think we all remember exactly where we were, you know, the great exorcism of Vietnam took place in 91. Our American military was led, I mean, with surgical excellence by Colin Powell. And then and then later, you know, my final promotion after all those from midshipman to three-star was under Barack Obama. And so I look at that continuum when it comes to race relations with such pride. And I, I know our country's not perfect, but boy, do we look ourselves in the mirror and beat ourselves up and strive to do better. And so, you know, when I give myself a report card and I know I'm not perfect, Mike Sears, is where it all begins. So I thank you, Michael.
0: Okay. Enough on, uh, enough on that, Emerald. I appreciate that. Let's, 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 uh, let's get get down to Brad's tax. You're absolutely right. A lot has happened over these last 44 years, to the extent that the mission of the Naval Academy has succeeded, mental, moral, physical. As you look back on all those years in uniform, what do you appreciate most about what the Naval Academy did for you or to you? It built a
1: foundation for my happy life. I mean, I cannot believe at age 62 how happy I am, how satisfied I am and proud of how my life's unfolded. And it gets back to that mission, morally, mentally, and physically. I was asked to give a high school graduation speech in Brussels, small little American high school there, Brussels American School. And uh, that was the theme of my speech. And I probably never got better feedback, but I challenged these young people uh, who had just finished high school. And I challenged, and I talked about how important the Navy was to me in the Naval Academy and that mission of morally, mentally, and physically. And I told them, you know, we're not expecting you to be a canonized saint, an Olympic gold medal winner, or, you know, we're not expecting perfection, a, a, a PhD, but just a little bit better every day. And the Naval Academy jammed that into me for four years that those things matter in your life. Your moral, your, you know, how you conduct yourself, your standards, whether it's based on faith or the standards of your, of your organization, your team. Mentally, to, to pursue academics, to pursue the opportunities for graduate education, to keep your mind active, open-minded, to embrace new ideas, and physically, you know, the Naval Academy has a unique way of demanding uh, participation in athletics. So really, that morally, mentally, and physically was a foundation of my life that carries on to this day. I don't want to end any day without having made myself just a little bit better morally, mentally, and physically. You know, morally, I challenged them, hey, pray if that's not your thing, then think positive thoughts, but, but spend some time every day. And one of the things I'll put in here about the gift the Academy gave me was the gift of failure. You know, to me, most of us showed up, big star of our high school, fill out the superlative. We thought we were big stuff. You know, I showed up and met Michael Sears. We all showed up and met somebody, but we met a system that with almost without exception, we failed something. I failed the underwater swim. I mean, I had to swim the length of the pool, fully decked out in my uniform with Coach Duff screaming at me. And of course, I got the deep end of the pool. Um, I didn't even come close. And, you know, I failed. But, you know, how do you handle failure? The Naval Academy has built into everything about it, you know, getting better. You know, we have extra instruction. We have the sub squad for swimmers. We have a demerit system. Uh, We have a system that recognizes that people don't show up A finished product we are all works in progress and the Naval Academy embraces that so how do you react to failure Michael you were a division one athlete so was I 50% of the time we walked off when all said and done Naval Academy's probably Chet Glatchuk would probably tell us we're closer to 667 but you know, by and large, when you compete in a sport, half the time, half the teams lose, and you need to know how to handle defeat. So the gifts were the, the foundation of moral, mental, and physical. And you could you could write books on any of those three, but the way that the academy forced us to do all three is really what I appreciated most.
0: You know, let me stay with that for a second and and talk about uh, not necessarily failure, although that's the idea. It's about It's about your ability as an able officer or as a human being, as a citizen, to embrace a certain risk profile. And what I mean by that is take some chances, not roll the dice. But understand that you're not going to have all of the answers when you have to make a decision. turn left, turn right, go up, go down, what have you. Can you say a little bit about that, not with any specifics about your career unless you want to get into it, but t- tell me what it means to be able to embrace that risk profile to make you a better officer?
1: Well, my one of my first jobs was was an admiral's aide, and our motto at crudez grew one was fortune favors boldness. Uh, so you know we have that in our ethos that, bold action, fortune is on your side, you know, Patton and Napoleon, they all had, you know, maxims about uh, how audacity or being bold is a good thing. But on the other hand, and as you point out, there's, you got to think about the downside and risk. And that's where, uh, you know, I think it back to one of your previous flag briefs with uh, Admiral Manazar, you know, when you can have a team around you, when you can build a team to say, Hey, am I, how am I doing here, guys? But that culture of the whole team helping you is something you have to work on from day one. So yeah, be bold, be audacious. Fortune favors boldness. Uh, you know, a, a good plan executed violently now is better than a perfect plan next week. Uh, all those maximums. But on the other hand, we're in the accountability business and uh, there's none of this happens remotely anymore. Every decision we make, especially with a big warship or or a platoon of Marines or fill in the blank, whatever it is you're charged with leading, the decision you make is going to be instantly, can be instantly transmitted around the world at the speed of light. So all the warnings about look before you leap apply here and even more so today in our globally connected world.
0: Let's, let's segue a little bit. I had an opportunity to see you on your first day in the Navy, and I will be quite honest with you. I snuck in the back uh, of the room at your retirement ceremony a little while ago. My takeaway from your words that, that day were gratitude. What were you or are you thankful for? What's that gratitude all about? The
1: diversity of my life. I looked out at that audience. I saw my wife and my three children Two of them in uniform. I saw my friends. I saw my boss. Um, and I thought about the last job that I had sitting in front of the American flag in a foreign capital in Brussels. Um, to, you know, Mark Twain has a great quote about uh, travel is fatal to prejudice, bigotry, and narrow mindedness. Broad, wholesome, charitable views of people cannot be acquired by vegetating in one little corner of the earth. There I had come after five and a half years overseas. Uh, the Navy had educated me, the Navy had taken me around the world, the Navy had given me great responsibility. Um, but as I said there, as I think I remembered looking around at my uh, my fellow officers, my peers, but my commanding officers, my generals, my admirals, all the people I worked for that I just felt so fortunate, blessed for how it all ended. And you know, and I, as you know, I did it in Memorial Hall at the Naval Academy. And I just had this sense because I know you're young now and you're you're looking ahead and you got a lot on your mind. But trust me, as you know, Matthew Broderick said, I think it was Ferris Bueller's day off. It goes by fast. And you want to be able to look back and said, hey, you know, the way I did it, I'm proud of. So I just had an enormous set of gratitude for the challenges, for the travel, for the education. You know, it was 41 years of being scrutinized, being held to a standard. Being held accountable for what I did. I had to read about how fast did I run the mile and a half? How many pushups, you know, did I do? Uh, how well did I take care of the people assigned to me? Um, I was held to a standard and, and that's hard and that's a challenge. But at the end of the day, I think we, we sign up for this because we have a degree of competitiveness in us. But this is, this was competition for mutual benefit in the service of our country. So anyway, that's a long answer. But yeah, there was a lot to be thankful for and I was I was happy how it ended. And I'm glad you snuck in the back, Michael.
0: Happy to be here. Happy to be there. The Academy will hopefully be around for as long as the US. I mean that's uh, but it does go by pretty fast. You struck me as, as a person who was very happy with the choice made to come to Annapolis. Any closing lessons learned? Any advice, words of wisdom? Sure.
1: The uh I'm sure that most of you have heard of that famous study that was done at Harvard over decades and decades about what makes somebody happy. I don't want to overdo the word happy, but uh, one of my heroes buried in San Francisco, Chester Nimitz, you know, the library, Nimitz Library, he said the best ships are also almost invariably the happiest ships. But but being happy matters. And the Harvard study proved is it's not money It is not the acquisition of things. It is not the acquisition of awards. It is relationships. It comes down to relationships. And so my biggest lesson learned was if you want to get to the end of your life and look back, all the studies say it's about the relationships. And boy, did I have some wonderful relationships and it you know, another great quote, he he who sheds his blood shall be my brother. And the intensity of a a long military career is without question. Um, But you do it with people. And at every level, you know, as you stay in longer and longer, the organizations get bigger and bigger. Um, But that shared sacrifice builds relationships that really are the key to happiness. Some of the other uh, Specific lessons learned is, you know, in a simple word is read. You know, if you can read, one of my best bosses had a great line. He said, watch out for people who read. They will beat you every time. And it's true. Uh, Reading, whether it's, and I'm not just talking about on your cell phone or your computer, but I mean books, old books, history books. Read today's newspaper. Read the tech manual. You know, in the early part of your career, A lot of these great philosophical ideas matter for your self-motivation, but the organization's looking at you to be skilled in a professional competence. Can you drive the ship? How do you perform on the bridge? Can you lead at the unit level? Can you fly the aircraft? So reading early on is technical manuals, instruction manuals, NATOPs. Uh, pick your profession, the nuclear, the reactor plant operating manual, you need to be a professional, but you need to read. So I always found, I mean, a turning point in my career was when I was a student at the Naval War College. And the big joke was, hey, you're gonna love Newport, man. It's like a year off. Uh, it's like college with money, you know, in the readings, lots of reading, but it's only hard if you do it. Well, I went there and I read every single word. I was at a time, you know, Teresa was pregnant with our first child and I read every word and it changed me. I could not believe, you know, I thought I had read a lot, but when I read what they told me to read, which was basically the history of war, you know, the history of, you know, when's it okay to kill your fellow man? I mean, that's some pretty important stuff for people like us to have thought of in advance before we have to do it it changed my life. And nothing was the same for me personally or professionally after that year in Newport. And it was was all came down to reading. So reading. And then finally, I would say uh, we talked about early diversity is, you know, the the richness of diversity, it is what makes America great is our diversity is that we have figured out, you know, we wrote it hundreds of years ago that all of us are created equal. Uh, It's still a work in progress for proving it. But but the diversity that we bring to problem solving, that we bring to leadership is the envy of the world. When you look at our women, when you look at our, our diversity of races, when you pick any other country in the world and hold up their leadership and compare it to ours. We are the most diverse country that has ever been and that's the source of our power. You know my wife god bless her 31 years being married to me one of her big roles that i was very proud of was she served on the defense advisory committee for women in the services dakowitz it was called and uh, it was a four-year term working for the secretary of defense Um, it was founded by our original secretary of defense who came out of world war ii realizing hey You know, there's never gonna be another war where we don't have to use our women. We have really good women, they're really bright, they can do everything, we've got to work on this. And so this committee has been around for 50 plus years. In the years Teresa was there, the combat exclusion law was finally lifted. I know recently in the news, there's been about the uh, selective service and whether women will be required to to volunteer for the draft. Anyway, long answer.
0: (laughs) Great answers great answers and I and I appreciate that uh, all all the pieces of it. Vice Admiral John Christensen, thank you for joining me today on the Flag Brief and thank you for the last 44 years.
1: Thank you Michael. Continued best wishes as you continue to give back.
0: You've been listening to The Flag Brief, a series of conversations with senior officers and civilian officials. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of our podcasts at stockdalecenter.com slash podcasts.